super blessed to call this man my friend and his wife, Margaret. They're just doing great things for the kingdom. I put it like this. There's a verse in Micah 6, 8, if you guys remember, that is from the prophet Micah. And it says, this is what God requires of you, Christians. Here's what God requires of you. It says to, let me get it right, to live justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And when I think of David McCracken and his wife, Margaret, I just think these are people that walk humbly with their God. And when I hang out with them, I want to have more intimacy with Father God. I want to hang out and love my Father all the more. And so I'm just blessed. So would you guys rise to your feet and would you welcome with me David McCracken as he comes to share. Thank you. Thank you. The Lord bless you. What a joy to be with you. It's... uh, It's an excitement in my spirit to be back, and I want to thank Pastor Kyle for uh, his friendship, and I want to thank you for your uh, generosity. That's that's too small a word. Um, When I was sick last year, um, this church that I'd only visited once in my life became a, a generous part of my recovery and I want to thank you for that it was just uh, you know if you go to church for 25 years in a row or something and you build a you know you're part of the family furniture uh, then you know for them to support you a little bit when you're a crook that's that's one thing but for a church that you visited once to to respond and support us like you did was quite amazing and uh, I believe God I was declaring almost something to me about the generous nature of this church full stop. And I believe Hawaii needs people with large hearts. I believe the society needs people with large hearts. I I believe that there are a lot of people that enjoy going to church, but people that become the church and spill out over the walls and get out in there in the community uh, and uh, let Jesus to be seen with hands and feet and a voice. And so I'm really thrilled about coming back. And on Friday night, I started by sharing something that I felt the Lord show me in particular. And it was quite extraordinary because I don't, can't ever recall the Lord saying it to me. I was just sitting there. I already knew what I had to preach And I was saying, is there anything extra, Lord? Is there something you want more to say? And he said, yeah, go to the dictionary. I said, beg your pardon? (laughs) I wasn't sure which voice I just heard. And he said, no, no, I mean it. Just just go to your iPad, look up the word anchor. So I did. And this is what I read, and then I will tell you what the Lord said to me out of it. This is what I read, exactly. I saw one... Uh, We all know about the boats, anchors in the boats. Now, it said that first, but that's not what I read. What I read was this, a device for securing a suspension bridge at either end. A device such as a metal tie for building one part of a structure to another and keeping them strong. A personal thing that can be relied on for support, stability, and security like hope was the only anchor. It wrote that in the dictionary. Okay, and the Lord began to speak to me that there was to be an intentional. Now, I I 
because I haven't talked to Pastor Carl, I, I don't know how much of this is actually already happening and how much is yet to happen, but I'll just share with you what I felt God speak to me about. That there had to be an intentional, very, very intentional communication to the unsaved community at all levels, right from the homeless to the government, every level, that this church, this church had a desire to be a strong bridge between God's love and the community. And that this church would be like an anchor of hope in the midst of the storms of life that people in the community go through. And it would be like a bridge that God's love could reach the community through. And then I saw, secondly, I saw a group in particular uh, that was set up uh, to be that bridge uh, between the community and the church. It was like a, it was like a pre-evangelism group in that its entire function was to selflessly go out there and identify the traumas and the needs that exist in the community and then go into gear about seeing how we can meet those needs and those traumas. And it was pretty exciting sort of stuff. And I then saw the word established thinking. I said, what's that, Lord? And he said, well, in time there will come an established established thinking in the life of the community uh, and the government and society uh, that they, it was almost like an automatic switch that if they saw people going through a trauma or they saw a disaster happen, uh, the automatic switch would, oh, we must get in touch with. And they would think about that group of people. Now, what I saw was that it was going to be like an extended arm of compassion. So although it was attached to the church and it was under the pastoral oversight of the church, in the perception of the community, it was almost like a separate identity. They, they almost didn't connect it in the sense. There was nothing underhand about that, but it was just, it was just, so, it was, the perception of the community was not, this is a bunch of Christians trying to evangelize us. That the perception in the community was this is a bunch of people that have got together because they have so much compassion for the community, so much compassion for people that, that they have to do something about it. And the final thing that I felt the Lord say was, as you were obedient to that and pursued that, that the in time, and I use that term, in time, there would come a, a one here, one there, one there, and then a gathering number of secular, non-Christian business people that would be so inspired about what was happening in the community and for those in need that they would begin to invest their money in that group in order to distribute it to the community. It got all pretty exciting, actually. And so um, I don't know whether you like what role the Salvation Army plays around in Hawaii, but in Australia, it's got a great name. You know, even people that don't like the church, even people that don't like Christians, even people that bag the church all the time in the media, they never say a negative word about the Salvation Army. They only ever talk good on the Sallies, great for the Salvos. And, and why? Because they work so hard at meeting the needs of people in trauma and stress. So that's the, that's the impression I got for your future. And can I say to you this morning, I'm not sure I said it Friday night, but it takes a very special people. And there's something unique about this church. It's the heartbeat. 
It, it, it's much, you know, I'm sure you've got many people that are highly gifted and everything else, but God's raising this church up to be a heart, to have such a heart for people, heart for the community, a heart for society, and I believe that's going to communicate. And so that was really, really wonderful. And then I saw, too, that there was another statement in the dictionary about anchor, and this is what it said. Any of various devices, any of various devices dropped by a chain or cable or rope to the bottom of a body of water for the purpose of preventing and restricting the motion of the vessel. And suddenly something began to speak into my spirit. Um, The Holy Spirit began to speak to me, preventing and restricting preventing and restricting. And so an anchor can be the stability and hope in a storm situation, but it can also then prevent that ship from reaching its originally intended destination. Uh, so sailing ships of old would, would, would get hit by a storm, and so they would find a safe haven. They would find a safe harbor somewhere, and they would drop anchor because it was vital. It was necessary. That was their time to, to recover. That was the time to uh, be secure and get out of the storm, and it was the time to uh, uh, redo the masts and the sails and get the thing ready again. But friends, uh, the thing is that that was supposed to be an insert of time because storm. It was time, it was a transition, a short insert, a transition, never a destination. As soon as that storm was over and the repairs were made, then they had to what? Weigh anchor. They had to pull up the anchor and move ahead to the original destination. And so Friday night, I preached on do not settle for less. Do not come to a wonderful place that everybody can enjoy and settle at it because God has vastly more for you to do. God has more for you as individuals. God has more for the corporate body. And he does not want 10% of Hawaii to be saved. He wants the whole lot. He wants everybody. And so there's an incredible amount of stuff to do, and every single person here has a part to play in that. And so I encourage you, as I did on Friday night, do not ever settle for less than God's original intention for you, for your family, for your marriage, for your business, for your vocation, for your ministry. Go for the ultimate goal. Can you say amen? Well, that was up till now. <laughs> that, 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 we, we've um, taken half the time and we've got you up to the beginning. All right. Now, let's pray because I believe what the Lord wants is a revelation to the heart, not information to the head. Father, we want to thank you again for your indescribable love, your wonderful, unconditional acceptance. And Father, this morning I just pray, Lord, that we'd all just fall in love with you even more than we have already. And Father, that your heart would bubble over onto the hearts of your people this morning in the most wonderful way. Woo us, speak with us. Father, I pray and cause us, Lord, to be those that will bring such joy and delight to your own heart. Father, we love you. We give you our hearts. We give you alone the honor in Jesus' name, amen, amen. amen. I, I, I've got to get into it, but, 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 but. 
But the young man that was leading the singing, is he still anywhere? Ah, he's over there. All right. I just, I get things by way of pictures. Sometimes I understand them, sometimes I don't. But I just, when you were up there, suddenly I got this picture, and it was pretty vivid. Um, and I saw a, um, it was like one of these uh, ca- steel wagons or carts that they put ore in. You know when they go mining and they, or coal or whatever, and they fill it up and then they take it out? Yeah. I saw one of those, a- and, uh, and it was full of good stuff. And you were pushing it. And, uh, and so, and I felt the Lord saying, how diligent, how committed, how steadfast. And it was all affirmation stuff. It was great. And then I saw the season change. Now, I'm not trying to be funny, but it sounds funny. Um, but I saw the season change. And that thing that you're pushing, full of iron ore, whatever, suddenly became... A, a, a roller coaster car, you know, like they'd stick you in, and, and, and it was like the Lord was saying, and he, and he was beckoning you to, to get in. Now, the cool thing about that was that when you get in a roller coaster, have any, any of you ever been in a roller coaster? Yeah, yeah isn't it? It's cool. You, they put you in there, and then this big thing comes down, dunk. Now, that should tell you something. <laughs> you know, and, and, and then you start going up the side. It goes clack, 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 clack. Now, that's all cool. But there comes a moment. Are you listening? Uh, there comes a moment when the clack, clack stops. And you know why it stopped? Because they've just unhinged you. And from that moment on, it's just sheer gravity. And there's no steering wheel. There are no brakes. You have just got to hang on and trust that the guy that designed that thing was not on marijuana. You have got to believe that. And I want to tell you, when you get in that car, take your hands off the wheel. Holy Spirit has some experiences for you that will be outside of your capacity to control. Okay. When I came to prepare for this morning, how many believe in miracles? Do you really believe in miracles? Then we should believe that I'll be almost, almost able to finish on time. Okay. Now, there was a long passageway. I saw this long passageway, and at the end of this passageway, there was this big door. And as I opened this door, and I knew I was talking about this church, and the church's future, your future, and I opened the door, and it led into this incredible, indescribable land which was filled with the miraculous. And that was the key thought. It was an era of the miraculous and the supernatural. And I felt God was going to say to this church, I want you to occupy the land of the miraculous, the supernatural. And this was the doorway into it. And as I was watching it, it was like it was in this hallway and there was a series of other doors before you got to the main door. And the Lord spoke to me and said, this is like the seasons of life. 
Uh, um, we all go through seasons in life, don't we? And, and Paul went through it too in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 11 to 13. Paul said, listen, I, I've been through lots of seasons. He says, I know how to abound, but I know how to be a boast. I, I, I know how to be hungry, but I know how to be extravagantly full. And, and he just, he went through all the different seasons. And then he came to a conclusion in verse 13, he said, but I conclude that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And what he was saying was, I can actually remain positive. I can remain filled with hope. I can remain with the joy of the Lord. I can remain in faith. I can, I can do everything, no matter what the season, no matter what the circumstance, I have a secret. I have the power of Christ strengthening me. And so that was his conclusion concerning the seasons. Now, I want to say to you, friends, that there is no season, there is no circumstance, there is no situation or contradiction that can take your joy from you or your peace from you or your pursuit of your destiny from you if you have the key to that season. And as I looked at these doors representing seasons, that we'll all go through on our journey of life and are occupying the ultimate goal of God's intention. I saw that they had keys to these doors. And these keys were things like trust, patience, uh, faith, prayer, praise, uh, steadfastness, uh, uh, spiritual authority, uh, worship, uh, all, all of these things were powerful, powerful keys on our way through to open the doors of these seasons to God's intention. But then as I was watching, I saw that there was a, a second lock on every door, and that was for a master key. And the master key had to go in first. Otherwise, the, all the other keys, those powerful, powerful, wonderful keys like prayer and praise and word and, and fellowship, all those things, they were just beginning to get hard work. They were like grunching and scratching and, and really having to pull that key around. But when you put in the master key, it totally changed. It was like suddenly those keys and those locks were covered with oil and they just went and they just opened so effortlessly and easily because the master key had been put in there first. Now hold that thought. Uh, when I was looking down this corridor that the Lord showed me, I also saw that there were doors off to the left and the right. And these doors had no locks in them at all. They didn't need any keys. You could just touch them and they fly open for you effortlessly. And, but the thing I noticed was that every time anybody went through one of those doors, they lost momentum in gaining the goal. They lost momentum to where they were actually designed to be going. And the door, the, the names on these doors were not things that were evil at all. They were normal things of life, but they can become distractions to the goal that God set before us, the goal of living in the miraculous. And I want you to keep that thought in your head living in the miraculous, not thinking about it, not even just believing it in your head, not just even writing about it, but actually living it. Now, I wonder how many of you here this morning actually, I mean, if God could give you anything you wanted, 
Would you like to live a miraculous life? I mean, a, where actually supernatural stuff was happening, almost like daily, you lived with an anticipation of miraculous. Well, I'm here to say that not only is it possible, it, God actually wants it. It's part of the gospel. It's part of the epistles. God wants it. And so here we are, and some of these distractional things I saw like methods, systems, arrangements, orchestrations, finances. And then I saw another group, and that was like acceptance, position, achievement. And nothing wrong with these things, but they were diverting from the momentum of pursuing the ultimate goal and prize. Now, what's the master key? If we want the incredible keys of simplicity and trust and faith and praise and humility and power and spiritual authority, if we want those things to flow effortlessly, what's the master key? And someone would say, well, it's the anointing, of course. It's the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Yes, indeed it is. But what allows the anointing? What opens the door for the anointing of the Holy Spirit to be your daily experience? What is that? You know, uh, recently I was told by a guy who was trying to sell me something from the health industry. And he said, if you drink some of this bottle of stuff every day, he said, uh, he said, look, it'll help your intellect. It'll help your physical being. It'll get rid of all your ailments. It'll uh, give you energy. It'll give you vitality. It'll give you, I tell you what, if you believed the advertising on that bottle, you would buy it by the truckload and you would fly like Superman till you're 105. It was incredible stuff. But what have I told you? What have I told you this morning as a Christian? That there actually was something that would release the anointing of the Holy Spirit, would empower your prayer life, build your intimacy with Father's heart, improve every human relationship, rescue your marriage, replace anxiety with hope, replace doubt with faith, replace striving with peace and joy, and replace insecurity with confidence. It would accelerate your calling. It would lead you into the miraculous, and it would empower your spiritual authority. Now, if such a thing existed, would you not think it worthy of the highest honor? Would you not think that it was worth your greatest resolve and decision? Can you say amen? amen. <laughs> so what is it? Friends, the master key is first love. Now, now I can see right now, what, what? Uh, um, no, bear with me. First love. First love is the master key. It has transformed my life. And I can tell you now, I have gone for that, like I was for many years as a diligent, committed, uh, a zealous, uh, godly uh, person in the ministry, uh, trying to do what was right and trying to, to, to do this all well and be better. I, I've gone from that into living a, a life that is bubbling over enthusiasm, joy, and celebration. And because I realized that there was a master key to life, it's called first love. Well, what is first love? What is it? Can I have an extra two or three minutes? Thank you. Okay. Okay. 
what, what on earth can a poor man say, right? Um, now, I still got 12 in the clock, so another three, that's, oh, I'm doing good. Okay, what, what is first love? Well, when I was wooing Margaret, when I was courting this girl, I, I, I mean, man, no distance was too great, uh, no time was too inconvenient, no cost was too great. Hey, no other priority was worthy of any consideration. Why? I was a man on a mission. I, 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 I was King Arthur, Lancelot and Galahad all rolled into one, the whole thing. I tell you what, I thought about our breakfast, I thought about her at work, I thought about her at lunch, I thought about her in church, and I even thought about her when the All Blacks were playing rugby, and that's almost sacrilege in New Zealand, all right? But why? Why? Because I was in love. And now, thanks to her book, Bulletproof Your Marriage, after 45 years, I'm still in love, and quite frankly, I'm hopelessly addicted. Glory. Now, but why, 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 why? First love. Now, let me be very real, and you'll get a little bit more reality in here. Uh, um, where there's times of storm, yes. Where there are times of trial, yes. Where there are times of tragedy, yes. Where there are times of difficulty and struggle, yes. And in such times, it's so easy to lose focus on what is really important and life. And we had days of darkness, we had days of strain, we had days of contention, we had days where our people had betrayed us and it led to disaster financially and ministerially. We had all that sort of stuff. But you know what? We, whenever we went through that, we would have these aha, wake up moments and we would realize what happened. What happened? Our first love leaked out. Somehow we lost focus on that. And what would we do? Oh, we would renew it. We would renew it again and again and again and again. And as often as it was necessary, we renewed that first love, even after some really dark moments. Why? Because we were in covenant together. We had made covenant. And friends, every time that we renewed that first love, the adversary's hold or, in, or ability to attack us got weaker and weaker and weaker until one day you wake up and you realize you don't have to make a decision about it anymore because it's this inexhaustible bubbling up well of life uh, that, that's now, now you don't have to try anything. Now you don't have to decide anything. I, I say it all the time and I say it totally unashamedly. I am completely addicted to that woman. Okay, uh, I love it a bit, and so she loves me. And I'll tell you what, friends, that we did know our times when we had to sit down and say, what happened? Not that either Margaret or myself did anything wrong. It was just that the first love had leaked out. And friends, it's no different in our Christian life and experience. No difference whatsoever. And, you know, life, the traumas of life, the challenges of life, doing life. 
can get your eyes off the truth that you were born to be a son. You were born to be a daughter. You were born to be indescribably loved and unconditionally accepted. You were born to celebrate life with your father. God never designed us for religion. God never designed us to, to do the Christian thing and strive to be better. That's not actually in the New Testament. He designed us to, to live in such awe and wonder of his heart and his overwhelming love that we would love him like that in return and we would celebrate life together. Now, Revelation chapter 2 is a chapter in the Bible that is often, well, most often, misquoted, misused. And a lot of my life, I didn't understand what God was saying through that ch chapter either. So that's not a criticism, but I want to say that ch uh, Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 to 7, is actually one of the most powerfully positive segments of Scripture in the Bible, and people quote it negatively often. And, oh, I see, it's, you beat me to it. Okay. Um, to the angel of the church of Ephesus, write this. These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand who walks in the midst of the seven golden lamps. Don't get caught up with all that. It's Jesus. Okay. I know they could have just said that, but they had a reason for it. It's the Lord Jesus Christ, okay, speaking to his church. And what I want you to notice is that he starts out by highly, highly recommending them, commending them, affirming them. Verse 2, I know your works. I know your labor. I know your patience. Hey, these are pretty godly attributes, people. And that you cannot bear those who are evil. So there's a deep commitment to holiness. And you've tested those who say they're apostles and they're not. And you've found them to be liars. So they possess great discernment and wisdom. And you have persevered and you have had patience, godly endurance. And you've labored for my namesake, evangelism. And you've not become weary, so there's a steadfast, commitment, diligent man alive. These people are God's champions. Are you getting the, the truth of what's been said here? These are top shelf. These are some of God's stars. And in the middle of this, he says, nevertheless, I do have this thing. And the King James doesn't do it justice. It says, nevertheless, I have this thing against you. But it's not really worded like that. He says, it's more like I have a concern that you have left your first love. Now, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works or the, occupy that first passion, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place. Don't get hung up on that because I saw something in that. Friends, your lampstand is simply the revelation and illumination of the Holy Spirit speaking to you in a powerful way and bringing light into your life and its circumstance. And all he's saying here is if you lose your first love, then, then, then your life becomes heavy, it becomes dark, it becomes hard work, and you lose that sense of the Holy Spirit speaking to you, illuminating you, bringing you alive, showing you stuff. And then he goes on back to um, uh, commending them again. But this you have that you hate the deeds of Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now look at verse 17. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him that 
overcomes. Overcomes what? Overcomes this, this lack of first love. Uh, those who regain first love, I will give them to each of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the power and life of God. And when he uses that word life, it's the same word that Jesus uses in John when he says, I have come that you might have life and that more abundantly. And the word abundant means to overflow. It means extravagance. And Jesus said, I have come that you might enjoy an overflowing, extravagant dose of life. Life, joy, vitality. Enthusiasm gripping you as you bounce out of your bed in the morning. He's talking about first love passion, first love zeal. And you know, friends, we all go through circumstances where we get robbed of our first love passion. And this is a burden that I feel on my heart this morning because I believe in the destiny of this church and I believe in your destiny as an individual that there are remarkable, supernatural, wonderful things that God has called you to do that will only ever become a reality when you bubble over in the passion and enthusiasm and wonder of your Father's love and affection. Because, let me put it another way. Diligence is a remarkable and wonderful, beautiful thing. But friends, it doesn't stand long in a storm. If diligence has not been married with first love, then diligence ends up becoming weariness. And weariness becomes disillusionment, and disillusionment becomes dissension. Friends, when you lose first love and passion, then ultimately you end up becoming vulnerable to critical thoughts. We are designed by God to live in a state of first love passion. Hebrews 10 says, when you go through all these things, do not throw away your confidence because it still has got enormous potential for reward. Now, I want to say this to you so it goes deep inside of your spirit. I, and I mean it in in a compassionate way, not in a harsh way, but God doesn't care and I don't care what circumstance, what challenges, what traumas we have been through in life, the answer is still the same. The, the answer is to rediscover the passion of first love because I can tell you the things that Margaret and I have been through over the years, we had a truckload of challenges, but I'm telling you, if you'll get up in the morning and you know you're indescribably loved and unconditionally accepted and there's something, there's a well of love and affection between you and your father and it bubbles over to other people, I can tell you nothing can destroy that. It empowers you. It becomes like this great nuclear energy plant inside of you. Am I getting through? I think the cry of God's heart this morning is this. 
I, th I think, well, firstly, I think that he's overwhelmed by your commitment and your zeal and your com and diligence and your godliness, all those things that I read. So he wants to affirm you. But he also wants to say to you, there is this indescribable, indescribable. Uh, friends, you, you don't, it's like you, you don't know. I mean, I went most of my life without realizing it, and I was caught up in trying to be a good Christian, and Blumenier killed me. I don't try to do anything now. I'm too busy enjoying my father. Uh, he, 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 is he God Almighty? Yes, but I don't think like that. I think of him as being my father. He's my dad. He's my father. And I love him indescribably. And he loves me. Now, I, some of you might find that stretching. But he does. He absolutely loved me to bits. And the Bible says, even when I go, even when I muck something up, he, he said, what's his response to that? He says, oh, whatever you do, don't draw back then. No, come with boldness and confidence to my throne of grace so I can help you in your time of need. Whoa, do you see that? He didn't say, in my time of failure. He said, in my time of need. And so his entire instinct is that of a loving father. My call this morning is back to first love. My call this morning is to stop trying and striving and rediscover passion. Because individually, you need it to live life like it was supposed to be lived. Yeah. And corporately as a church, you're going to need it to see your wife saved. Because they had uh, had enough of churchianity. They want life. Yeah. Life. And it's so contagious. People that just walk around overflowing with life. Yeah. Well, that comes out of this. Bubbling over here means we bubble over there. Let's just bow our heads in a word of prayer just for a moment. Can we do that right now? Father, I thank you, Lord, for a people here that obviously already love you and deeply committed to you. But I know too, Father, that you burden me with this. Father, you want a people that are so so overflowing with anticipation, expectation, and enthusiasm, and can't wait for tomorrow. So, Father, I pray for a revelation of your transformational love concerning every individual heart, every marriage, every vocation, every business, every ministry, Father, anything that has lost that, that joy and celebration and momentum of pursuing the miraculous life that you called us to live in. And Father, I pray now that new hope, new faith, new courage would just come to every heart that may need it. Maybe an aha moment, maybe a new moment of resolve, Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Right now. I, I, just before I continue, I'll only take a moment, but I know when God, 
wants something in particular. If your decision this morning is, actually, that's what I do want. I love the Lord. I love the church. I love what God's called us to do. But, but I'm more and more recently, I've been doing things through commitment or diligence or hard work. And Father, I just want the joy back. I, I, I just want celebration back. I, I, I just want first love, passion back. And that might be a personal life, or as I say, it might be a marriage or, or might be a vocation. Just stand to your feet quickly right now. Don't stand because others are. You stand because that's actually how you're feeling. Uh, just wait for one brief moment. But I want you to reach out now with your heart to your hands. There's a time, friends, there's a time to pray and there's a time to simply receive. And I want you to raise your hands right now like a funnel and just say, Father, I receive your indescribable love. I receive your unconditional acceptance. Father, I receive the life, the life force of first love. And Father, I thank you that over these days that now lie ahead, there's going to come an unlocking of this, this bubbling up, this well of life within me. Father, give me a revelation of how much you love me. Unlock my love again for you and for those around me. Father, fill us with a renewed passion in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you as you're seated. I haven't quite finished yet, but could we just bow our heads again for one moment? Just, just, just one moment, please. Every head, every eye closed. Because even if you are one that just stood a few moments ago, or if you didn't, but you're giving your heart to Jesus Christ for the first time. Now, you may have been to church, but this today is a day for making Jesus Christ personal Savior, personal Lord of your life. You want to know the love of your Father. Not just God Almighty, but as your personal, intimate, loving, caring Father. And Jesus is the answer to that. You make Jesus Lord of your life, and it opens a door to Father's loving embrace. If that's you this morning and you want to step over that threshold and say, Jesus, I'm making you Lord today. Father, I'm coming to you. Then raise your hand right now so that I can register you in my heart and in my prayer. Thank you over to my right. God bless you. Thank you down the front. Anybody else? Yes, toward the back. Thank you. And yes, down to my left. Lord bless you. You can put your hand down there. Anybody else? Yes, Lord bless you. Is there anybody else? The most wonderful thing that you can ever do. Anybody else that wants to give your heart to Jesus for the first time and experience that indescribable love? I think a young man just did that quickly with his hand. Okay, good. Awesome. For those of you that have raised your hands, please do not leave the building without finding somebody and talking to somebody and knowing that you are greatly loved. 
No one will meet you with condemnation. They'll only, because they've had to do it all themselves, they'll meet you with love and affection and be able to help you in a very definite way. It's the greatest day of your life. I just want you to follow me in this prayer and perhaps the whole congregation could pray so that those do not feel on their own. Father, we thank you for your indescribable love. We thank you for Jesus who paid the price for my sin. I acknowledge that sin. I receive your forgiveness. And I commit the rest of my life to serve you with all my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. What an awesome thing. What an incredible.